Like Your Style. We are here with our special guest today, Monty Oblivion, uh, from Los Angeles, a post-punk outfit. Uh, they just released a new single, The Patrol Car, that we're, uh, we're excited to share with you. And uh, yeah, Monty, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing, Elder Bryson? Uh, same old shit, man. Just, uh, just trying to get through another day and and help spread the word about, you know, some of these in, independent musicians I find and, you know, all that fun shit. Uh, so tell, right. us a, tell us a little bit about Monty Oblivion. What, what are you guys about? Uh, well, um, I'm Monty Oblivion. Um, basically, I'm a, I'm a solo uh, artist, uh, producer, engineer, um, songwriter, things like that. Uh, <laughs> very um, mostly, uh, you know, anarchist, political type music is... Uh, you know, I don't limit myself to political songs, but that's on my mind most of the time. So it seeps its way into pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, right so on. it's. That's... I'm about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what What's one thing you'd wish you'd known? I, I know that you've been doing this for a while, as various iterations, things like that. What's one thing you know now that you wish you'd known when you first started as a musician and uh, producer? Oh, I'd say. Um... I'd probably wish I had known that uh, to be upfront with musicians I work with about my goals and uh, my inspirations and things like that. Um, I uh, being in a few bands, I've kind of uh, made friends, lost friends, um, mostly because I don't know. I don't think they really understood uh, what I was going for as a songwriter. Um, a lot of the my last band kind of fell apart because I was too. Uh, too political or too extreme or whatnot. Um, that was back in Arizona where political music is not very welcome. <laughs> it's a very red state. Uh, and so I kind of wish I would have been, I would have known that I need to be, you know, firm on what my goals are uh, with whoever I'm working with. So, Oh yeah. Uh, I played a, I played a festival out in Arizona once and, uh, it, it, we, oddly enough, against all authority was the headliner. So, oh, okay. you know, I, I was kind of surprised when I made some jokes about religion that didn't go over well. <laughs> but, it's confusing. Right? <laughs> you think you're like, you think you're like uh, around like-minded people, and then like, you know, it's like, well, well, I agree with you, but I don't like what you said. You know, it's just like, well, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of speaking my mind here. I thought. Uh, that's what we were all about in like independent music and <laughs> and yeah, not just independent music. It's been blowing my mind lately. Just seeing on Twitter, all the people telling Tom Morello to stay in his lane and stick to music. <laughs> oh my God. Anytime he says anything, there's people jumping on him about stick to music. And it's like rage against the machine. I mean, yeah. what did you, what's How the miss? misconception there <laughs> it, it blows me the fuck away man i have no idea how people yeah. are going through life you know that band's been around so long not knowing what their message is within 30 seconds of listening to any of their songs uh, right they don't really cover it up with flowery language or anything they're pretty straightforward about what they're talking about <laughs> yeah, exactly so it, it blows my mind you know how hard it is to to get a message across you know it despite being as blatant about it as you can yeah absolutely so, so you know 
sex, drugs, and rock and roll is a big part of music. Uh, what does that What does that mean to you? What is when you think sex, drugs, and rock and roll? What What feelings does that evoke for you? Well, that makes me think of uh, you know the typical rock star, um, which I think we've kind of evolved beyond that a little bit. I mean, you know, who doesn't love sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Of course, but there's got to be a little more to it than that, or else you get like you get people like uh, I don't know. Steven Tyler, who, like, you know, marries, like, or sleeps with, like, children, basically, and, like, you know, you kind of have to have more standards than just the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll. You can incorporate that, but I think it's important to have, like, a, a, a set of, uh, for lack of a better term, values, or... Uh, <laughs> code, maybe? Yeah. Convictions. That's, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, because... Uh, yeah, having uh, having worked in uh, AV for you know large style concerts for for a while now, I've seen the evolution go from you know just being about you know having as much alcohol in your rider as you possibly can. To, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I had to go get Chuck E. Cheese once for an artist. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to be an intern. I had to. I had to pick out like the orange M M&M, and or the you know the blue M and M's or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole reason that artists would do that is was if you they'd notice they'd check that, and if you did that dumb thing for them, that meant everything else was done. Uh, that was yeah. the whole logic behind that. But it's 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 crazy that you know yeah. it, on the surface it's just like who really cares what color the M and M's are? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, you know, punk rock, I feel like, has helped, even though punk rock definitely embraced its own form of those sex, drugs, and rock and roll, I think it's done a great job of kind of, uh, kind of like, evolving beyond just being a rock star for the sake of being a rock star. Like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it has a purpose, and it has a, a point, and uh, I think that's important, you know? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And it's nice to see that punk rock, DIY, caring about shit ethos kind of spreading the music community at large, too. Um, yeah. You know, after how many years of that, it's finally, finally people care about making a difference. Um, yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird would you say you are? Oh, man. I am, uh, you know, I would say, I think I'm pretty weird, but... Uh, I'm also like a straight white male, so I, can, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of normal <laughs> in that mm-hmm. regard. But uh, I'm also a little fucking nuts too, so <laughs> I'd probably say about a seven. <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. That's, that's a solid C minus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who have you been listening lately? That's uh, that's been inspiration to you. Um, uh, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Chromatics. Um, from uh, the north, the Pacific Northwest up there, um, I really like their vibe. They're kind of, uh, they're kind of noir disco sort of thing they got going on. I really enjoy that. Um, World Inferno Friendship Society is a big favorite of mine. Um, and then Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds is one of my favorite all time artists. Um, so, but as far as like new stuff, you know, it's mostly like. Uh, I listen to a lot of chromatics and some of the softer stuff like uh, se- uh, cigarettes after sex and uh, you know 
some really uh, spacey artists like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've really gotten into chromatics myself lately. They're fucking fun. You know, I, oh, yeah. I, I keep on seeing people say that there's there's no good music coming out anymore. And I'm just like, you're not looking hard enough. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's, you know, I feel like every generation says that about their own thing that's going on. But like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe if you're only listening, if you're only looking for it on the radio. But I mean, I I see it all the time. I'm, I volunteer at the smell. I, you know, I, before I, the whole lockdown thing, uh, I uh, run sound at the smell a lot. And I see a lot of just really uh, DIY bands that are doing amazing shit. And you got to give that credit too. Like that's new music that is still really phenomenal. And uh, so I, I definitely disagree with that notion that there's no good music. There's always good music. Sometimes it's just harder to find than other times. Yeah, that's that's the beauty slash horror of the internet. Is uh, there are forty thousand songs, new songs uploaded every day, and not yeah. all of it's good. That's for sure. But a lot of yeah. it really is. I've uh, just in my quest of you know looking for artists to be on here, I found so many cool songs and so much cool music that like has a hundred and seventy plays on Spotify, and I'm like, why? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's great that the internet has given everyone uh, kind of a, you know, more or less equal opportunity to put their music out there. But then the downside of that is just being inundated with all kinds of stuff. You don't, you know, it's, that's why, you know, people with, I don't know, marketing hookups or whatnot seem to get more of the attention. But, you know, I still prefer it to like, the whole gatekeeping, uh, the whole like industry gatekeeping that used to happen. You know, I like the fact that it's kind of a free for all. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's been so much uh, more of a relief just knowing that, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's harder to break through and be, reach, you know, that rock star quote unquote status, but just yeah. to be able to get your music out to people who will become fans and appreciate your art and what you do has never been a better time in history for that, and that's I think that's really awesome. Um, yeah. What What would you say your biggest failure in your music career has been, and what did you learn from it? Um, probably uh, the breakup of my band was probably the biggest. Um, you know, because we were going strong for quite a while, and I think um, the biggest mistake I made was trying to. We had a, it was kind of a collective of musicians where, um, you know, I had my band, it was, my band was Manual Sex Drive, um, and I wrote all the, I wrote all the music, and I met this other band called The Limit Club, who, uh, you know, we became friends, and uh, they really liked my music and wanted to be, they wanted to help me start, like, a live band, um, and then they also wanted uh, an extra member in their band, to play saxophone, guitar, keyboards, and that's kind of what I do. Um, and I also helped produce some of their albums. Um, so we kind of we kind of traded off members, which was good at first, but I think it after a, after a, a few years, it became like you know we're not spending enough time on this project, or we're not spending enough time on this project, and started kind of creating uh, some uh, some tension. And so. I think what I've learned from that is to, you know, maybe, uh, I don't think democracy is necessarily the best system for a band, unless, you know, you're going for a completely collaborative thing, but 
in a situation where one person is the main songwriter, I think it pretty much you have to be like the main songwriter and, you know, people are there to support that. Or, you know, I wanted to be a supportive member of the Limit Club and not necessarily a decision maker. And they kind of looked at that as like me not caring enough about that. So I don't know. I feel like that's what I learned was to be kind of upfront about how that's going to be structured um, so that there's no question later down the line of, you know, or confusion. So, yeah, it's, it's, that's impressive that you were able to keep that project together for that long though, for, for multiple years. I've, I've had bands where there was confusion about that last months at most, you know? So, I, yeah. I, and you know, it went, it was going really well. I mean, we, tr we did a lot of touring. We toured the U S Europe, uh, you know, both coasts, uh, and it was, it was going really well. Um, you know, after a while we just kind of grew apart, you know, like they, they started not wanting to associate themselves with my anarchist sort of viewpoint in my songs because that's not really that wasn't that didn't line up with their ideology and on the other hand I felt like uh, they were I, I could tell they were losing interest and so I felt like they weren't putting in the, the effort into my project so you know but it was you know it lasted a good five years um, going that in that direction so not bad. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's solid. Um, who would who would be the three people who have been the most influential overall on your music? Oh, let's see. Uh, I mentioned Nick Cave. Nick Cave's songwriting is uh, definitely in, on a whole other level that uh, I can you know that really inspires me to become a better lyric writer. I think. Um, and then um, as far as like. I, I draw a lot of inspiration from a lot of different music. Um, my uh, my guitar playing, I feel like, is uh, really inspi heavily inspired by like Thurston Moore, Lee Ronaldo, Sonic Youth, um, as well as like some older like blues and rockabilly artists. Um, you know, uh, like Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran. Um, you know, I I really enjoy. I, once I started experimenting with some of the blues sort of guitar, it really elevated my level of playing. Um, so I definitely was inspired by that too. Um, and then probably Robert Smith is a, is a huge influence as well um, on my singing and on just my, uh, my ideas for music, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I, all three of those are big. Um, Robert Smith is. I love. I saw this interview he did in France not that long ago where he talked about you know how his guitar says "citizens, not subjects" and how important mm -hmm. that is to him. And it's just uh, right. you know a people. A lot of people sleep on Robert Smith as being just a phenomenal guitarist and and mm -hmm. uh, someone who makes statements. You know, everyone just thinks you know sad love songs and it's like yeah. No, there's a lot more to it than that. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, his uh, his work with Susie and the Banshees, like on keyboards, was amazing. Like his guitar tone that he's like come up with is, is wonderful, and uh, just uh, so, just so, some of the just jazzy sort of uh, jams that they'll do for like seven minutes long are just incredible. So there's a lot more to it. You're right than uh, than just the love songs and the you know oh, <laughs> sad. 
so where online can our can our listeners find you? Where uh, where where are you uh, pushing your music and uh, you know how can they find you on social media that kind of thing? Um, Instagram uh, under uh, Reverend Monty Oblivion. I'm an ordained reverend um, of no faith, but uh, <laughs> if you want to get married, I can marry you. But uh, uh, Instagram mostly. I'm I do have a uh, I, I'm still on Facebook. Um, in, a, in an official capacity, but I'm trying to get away from all that. Uh, but Instagram, um, you know, Bandcamp, uh, you can hear all my music on Bandcamp, uh, Spotify, um, you know, and Apple Music, all the major streaming platforms. Well, we're about to play your song, The Patrol Call, here. I'm excited about that. Tell us a little bit about it. Patrol Car, I wrote. Um, about five years ago, after uh, immediately after the Michael Brown shooting um, in uh, in Ferguson, um, and it basically chronicles that whole that whole story. Uh, it's I it's I find it very difficult to write so, like a story based song, so this was kind of an experiment into that. But I was really happy with how it turned out, um, and uh, so it's basically about that. I I, I just re released it uh, as a single to uh, benefit. Uh, Color of Change, um, a great uh, black organization um, that's done doing a whole lot of campaigns. Um, and so anytime you download it uh, or, you know, from Bandcamp um, or make a donation, then I match that and uh, donate that to Color of Change. Um, so definitely uh, check that out and uh, hope hope everyone enjoys it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's huge. That's uh, I appreciate it. So here we are. The Patrol Car by Monty Oblivion. Street in a Missouri town where all the cops are white. A black and white car crept along looking for a fight. Two unarmed boys were walking home, unaware of being hunted. The patrol car turned the corner, they were unexpectedly confronted. The door flew open, an arm reached out, grabbed the kid by the throat. It was a white St. Louis cop, he was a black kid just old enough to vote. They tried to get away, but the shots instantly began. One boy hid behind a car, the other held out his hands. I'm sure you know what happened next, it happens all the time. No expensive trials, no jury, just execution for no crime. And another mother crime, and another mother crime. Against the uniform, they say. Oh, 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 oh. 
picked up the usual story Said he went for the cop's gun Then they opened fire on the crowd They wouldn't turn and run They sent in tanks and SWAT And smashed these cameras at the scene They attacked our people for a cop Who killed an innocent teen And we said the patrol car that's just a visceral message and uh, that's the production on it it's it's so tight rhythmically but still kind of chaotic i love it thank you <laughs> absolutely no uh it's uh yeah it's uh, ferguson and it's just it's amazing how many people are just starting to realize the shit that i've been standing on a soapbox talking about for years and i'm sure you have too just Obviously, yeah. he wrote the song five years ago. Um, it, it, it's amazing. People are just thanks to the Watchmen learning about, you know, uh, Tulsa and, uh, yeah. you know, starting to learn about, you know, Tuskegee and all some of this other horrible fucking shit that's been happening for for decades at the hand of the state. And, you know, yeah. It seems so. It seems so hopeless. Like five years ago, like that to get people behind this message because you know every time you say Black Lives Matter, there would be someone chiming up like, "Wait a second, don't all lot," you know. And it's just, it's just such a derailing of the whole message. Like, yeah, sure, all lives are supposed to matter, but they're not. All lives don't currently matter. That's the point. Like, yeah. <laughs> and. So it's it it is pretty amazing to see the difference between now and then, you know. Now it's just, you know, it's I was kind of joking with my wife about how like, you know, now now capitalism is kind of forced to go along with this because it's such a populist uprising now that now you're seeing all these corporations that, you know, 5 years ago would have distanced themselves from that. Now they're they're almost they have to to say something about it. They have to uh out of fear of uh, people not buying their shit. Right. So it's like, it's funny because I mean, I'm totally anti-capitalist and you know, it's, it's funny to see capitalism kind of eat itself like that, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, if you, 
if you look at the history of the labor movement, capitalism created racism as a way of dividing up the workers and making them easier to control. So it's funny to see where we've, where we're at now. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like I, I kind of view myself as a market anarchist, right? I'm like halfway between like, I think that capitalism and, and socialism are like this yin and yang where unions need to be strong to protect workers' rights, but then innovation needs to exist. To, I've got weird views on a lot of shit, but it's, yeah. you know, at, at the end of the day, easy answer. That's for sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Every, and you know, things need to change gradually. Maybe, you know, if the whole system fell apart tomorrow, people would die and it'd be ugly, but the system still needs to fall apart at some point. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's been crazy. Cause you know, when people say all lives matter, sometimes it's just from a point of ignorance. Like I lived in Utah for years and, you know, even recently I've had some of my friends and coworkers from Utah say, well, don't all lives matter? And then I explain to them why that's wrong, like that, why they're just discounting and they listen because they just don't know better. You know, they're, yeah. people are finally starting to listen to, well, you know, what, what, if we defund the police, then what will happen if someone steals your car? Well, I just had my vehicle stolen two weeks ago. Nothing's going to be done about it anyway. You know, I just need right. the police for, report for the insurance. <laughs> you know? yeah, so, exactly. It's like, you know, it, <laughs> it's funny. I, someone just, I, someone said the other day that, uh, I just read it on Twitter that, uh, you know, cops are like, if you can't handle me at my kick open your door and kill you while you sleep, you don't deserve me at my setting up speed traps and, uh, to busting you so I can meet my quota for the month. It's like... <laughs> Like, when did we look at cops as this convenient thing that's, like, helping it? Like, we're all, like, we all get pulled over, and we all hate it, and we all... <laughs> but that's funny. I, you know, I'm actually from Salt Lake myself, originally. Um, and so it's really funny right now to see my my mom, of all people, reading, uh, reading White Fragility and, uh, t you know, taking on her friends and, uh, and relatives and, you know, taking them to task and being like, you know... You need to read this, you need to look at this, and you need to listen to the voices of black people. I'm like, damn, mom, like, you've come a long way. <laughs> and a year ago, I never would have seen any of this, you know, happening. I would have never seen, and it's, it's tragic that it happened from all these horrible, tragic, you know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not okay that that's the catalyst, but, you know, it's... Yeah. I don't know, better late than never. Shit. Yeah, I mean, now it's like it's kind of hard to it's it's kind of hard to deny it, you know. I mean, there was in the past, you know, we had after Rodney King, it was like, oh, well, what happened before the video? Even though even then, that was an absurd uh, argument because we could all see what was going on. We could all see them beating this this guy who's already on the ground already clearly not threatening anyone's life. Um, and it's just, you know, the more and more people see, the more and more televised, not televised, but uh, since everyone's got a camera now, um, the more and more they see, the harder and harder it is to deny that there's wrongdoing going on. You know, and then with George Floyd, you see what was happening, and then you see all these other cops just standing there watching it. And I'm trying to tell people, like, no, those are the good cops you're talking about, that as good as it gets is like just just standing by and not doing anything you know because 
with the police unions and, and with all the, the cronyism going on, like there's no, there's no accountability. There's no one, there's no good cops that are standing up. And if they do, they're immediately fired or pushed out. You know, we've, we've heard those stories. Oh yeah. So just sit on a desk for the rest of their career, not actually doing anything or anything yeah. above. It's, it's, you know, they, they want to say, that's the argument you see all the time. They're, you know, a few bad apples. The the phrase is, a few bad apples ruin the bunch. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, exactly. That, that's, what the, that's what that colloquialism is to begin with. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know. And people are now forced to kind of look at the actual system because it's like, well, okay, if you want to say there's good cops, then, okay, let's, let's go with that for a minute. There's, let's say there's good cops. Why aren't these good cops able to do anything to stop the bad ones? Let's look, let's look at that. And then it becomes like, because it's systematic. So like now people are kind of looking beyond like these individual people they know who happen. I mean, the fact, the whole all cops are bastards uh, sentiment, it has nothing to do with who these people are individually and who these people are off the clock. It has to do with what they're required to do for their job and what they're you know, what they're willing to, their value, their, these good values they're willing to sacrifice in order for, to get a paycheck and to do this job. So, you know, they can, I'm not saying that every single person in a badge is like just rotten to the core, but the fact is that badge is, is the problem. That badge is wrong. That, you know, so. No, absolutely. It's, it's kind of like the same thing when people say, uh, you know, you got to support the troops. It's like, if I have a drink with that troop and he's a cool guy, then yeah, I'll, I'll support that guy, you know, as an individual. If I have a drink with that guy and he, you know, like, I, I accidentally, you know, bump into his beer and he spills a sip out of it and he wants to kick my ass, fuck that guy. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, you know? uh, there, there's so much out, you know, there's, there's so much about, you know, individuals who have made career choices because that's what their dad did and they don't know better yeah. or because that was the only option available to. And that's systemic. That's what it is. That's what it comes down to it. That's, that's where we live. And that's, those are the choices, hard choices people are forced to make. Um, yeah. and you can't fault individuals for that, but you can fault the system that they're a part of. Uh, right. Yeah, and it doesn't. You don't have to. You don't have to hate all cops to like get behind this movement. I mean, I personally, I personally uh, don't like the police. But uh, the fact is, if if you want to support police, how about stop stop using them to solve every single one of society's problems? You know, maybe that. I mean, isn't that too much responsibility for one organization? I mean, mental health is not a police is not a is not a police in their wheelhouse you know yet when we when there's a distress call or a, a, a wellness check that need, needs to be done they send the cops they don't send a mental health professional exactly. and and I, i've had plenty of you know friends who have been you know domestically abused and things like that and cops yep. are useless in those situations Absolutely, you know, but that's who gets called. It's 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 really frustrating to see, and that's not fair to even if you do, you know, if you are a fan of the cops, that's not fair to the cops to put them in that right. position where they feel shitty because they can't do shit for these people that are that are hurting if they are actually good individuals, right? Like, yeah, but, totally, uh, and that's what the whole that's what defunding the police is all about. You know, people are so shocked by that phrase, but it's like, 
No, look, defund the police so we can fund other things. You know, we can look at, I mean, my, my kid's school doesn't even have a fucking uh, a nurse or a, uh, uh, sorry, they do have a nurse. They don't have a librarian. I'm like, why are schools like, why are schools not having a full staff when I see cops out with armor and, and Humvees and like weapons? And I mean, where's our priorities? <laughs> not in the right place. Uh, switching gears <laughs> a little bit, back to, back to music. Uh, what was oh. the moment that you, want, you knew you wanted to be back into that? <laughs> What was the moment you knew you wanted to be a musician? Oh, man. Um, I was in third grade, actually, when I, like, realized I had uh, I had just started uh, getting into, like, listening to the radio and things. And uh, this was the 90s, and so I was really taken by Nirvana and um, and the grunge movement. And um, I uh, my dad had, uh, like, just a like Memorex tape that had on one side Pearl Jam 10 and one side, the other side verses. And, uh, I listened to verses first and I was just so mind blown by that. Like it was just like, as soon as I listened to it, I started just imagining myself playing instruments and like singing and, you know, uh, just, and from then on it was like, I, there was, it was just a calling, you know, it was just like, I didn't want to do anything else. Like that was like, and that was my path, you know, and I've never really, uh, I've never really like looked outside of that path. I mean, <laughs> I've toyed with like, what else would I want to do? And there's just, you know, that's just what I want to do. It's, you know, whether I can make a career out of it or not, like it doesn't matter. I just need to make this music, you know? No, absolutely. Cause I mean, even my, you know, working gig, right. Is not even in music as yours. Sound guy to sound guy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, um and yeah sure i do corporate stuff sometimes too you know uh, sometimes it's it's it sucks because i'm part of a union so sometimes i get the call to tear down donald trump's rally you know mm-hmm. and i don't yeah. always feel <laughs> great about that but then i get to you know make jokes on social media about how i, I struck the president <laughs> 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 so that's fun um, but as as a, as a sound guy, producer, musician, you probably have an absurd amount of gear like I do. Uh, what's your favorite piece? Um, probably my my uh, Fender Blues Junior amp. I just love the tone of that amp. Um, you know, I never really took for years. I was just kind of like, oh, it's punk rock. I'll play out of whatever the hell I want. You know, and I was like playing out of just these pawn shop amps that I would get, and then. I ended up working at Guitar Center and and learning more about my instruments and uh, I was like, oh my god, I need a new amp because now I can actually I can actually choose what I sound like <laughs> and uh, so I used my employee discount to get this like Blues Junior amp and I just fell in love with it. You know, I mean, I use and my Big Muff pedal is also another uh, essential in my in my arsenal. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, that first, uh, pawn shop little crate amp that everyone has that they think they sound so good out of. Do the first Nirvana cover on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, what's an unpopular, unpopular opinion that you have that you're sure is true? Oh, 
I have a lot of unpopular opinions. Um, <laughs> oh man. Um, <laughs> well, um, man, I've lost a lot of friends from this one, but uh, I, uh, I was a. I'm very critical of David Bowie. <laughs> Um, even though I love David Bowie's music, um, I, uh, I'm kind of disturbed by, um, the fact that he would sleep with teenagers. <laughs> so I, uh, I've, uh, kind of talked a little shit about David Bowie because of that. And I've lost friends because of that. So I, that's probably my most unpopular opinion. Not that he's not a great, that he wasn't a great artist. Um, just that I, uh, don't agree with him as a person. <laughs> no, I, and that's that's fair. Like, I've looked into that, and I've seen sides that it's true and isn't true, and I'm still up in the air on the... on the. But if it is valid, then absolutely fuck it. Like, you're, you're not wrong. And I'm the biggest fucking Bowie fan there is, but, like... I, I mean, Scary Monsters is one of my favorite albums, but, uh, you know, and I still... I can still enjoy the music, um, but, yeah, it's... I can't like reconcile that aspect with myself. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes sense. Um, so, talk to us a little about about your recording projects. You're a solo artist, so obviously you play everything. Um, what yeah. do you start with? Where do you? Where do you? How did you? How does that work in the studio for you? Um, I go into the studio. I have a little space in uh, Del Rey, um, and uh, I. Uh, I have several different approaches. Sometimes, like if I'm if I'm guitar was my first instrument, probably the one I'm best at. Um, so I'll I'll either go in with a guitar riff, um, or uh, I'll uh, start with like a beat. I love programming drums, um, and uh, I love uh, playing the synth. Um, and other times, I just have a tune in my head that I'll sing, and I'll just I'll sing into my phone. And later on, I'll be like, okay, what can I do with this melody? You know. Um, so usually lyrics come last. Like I, I, I find that the hardest, uh, to write lyrics. Um, mostly because I, uh, I guess that's the most personal, uh, aspect of it. And so it's, I'm, I'm most critical of myself during that, during that process of songwriting. Um, but as far as the music goes, I, I consider myself kind of a vessel because, uh, you know, it just kind of, the ideas really are easy, really flow easily when I'm just writing music. Uh, so the composing part um, comes first, and then um, once the music is done, and uh, for the most part, I mean, I'll, I'll rearrange things uh, as needed, but um, I go in there, can do all the music. Um, I also play saxophone, so I'll uh, put some saxophone on, and then I usually do lyrics and, and vocals last. Um, but yeah, I have a pretty simple setup, uh, just with a you know a simple interface. Um, eventually, I'm gonna upgrade everything, but right now it's just a simple interface. Um, I'll mic up my Blues Junior amp um, with just a 57, and uh, you know just pretty uh, pretty. Uh, I don't really polish it up too much, um, but then mixing is probably my favorite uh, process. Um, I love mixing down. Um, I've recently gotten into mastering, um, and learning how to do that. So that's fairly new to me, but, uh, the mixing process, I just love cause I can really let my creativity flow 
with that beyond the initial songwriting. Absolutely. I, I've got to agree with you on two of those things. One is lyrics are the fucking hardest. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got this beautiful song I'm working on. I've got an idea what it's about. Um, every All the instruments are recorded. It's all mixed. There's no vocals. I have... I'm so struggling with the lyrics. Um, yeah. But yeah, as, and I love mixing my own shit too. Like that was, it was some, so daunting when I first started writing music, right? The idea of uh, of mixing. And then the more I got into it, the more, especially as a solo artist, when you're, you have the whole idea of how it should sound in your head and you're in charge mm. of making that happen. That's huge. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, you know, and then just really getting down and detailed with the EQ and the compression and, you know, just, and then I love uh, learning. There's so many techniques out there and they're, they're so accessible now, you know? I mean, when I, I went to school, um, back in 2005, I went to conservatory in, in Tempe, Arizona, um, which is where I learned all about engineering and producing. And, uh, you know, now it's just so accessible. Like I can just, I can jump on YouTube and watch a little tutorial and be like, damn, like this ever since, since 2005, like it's evolved so much, you know, okay. there's like so many new techniques to learn. And so I just, it feels, it's like constant, constant satisfaction coming from it because you, you can always try new things. And then, um, when you, when it's something you like, it's just so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. When I first learned about automating EQ uh, online, uh, the Waves has the F6, right? That it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you can set a threshold for levels on different bands, and it'll adjust the EQ yeah. accordingly. When I figured out how to use that, it was game changing. Absolutely. Totally. So there's so much new every day, and I just love learning about it. And I spend way too much time on YouTube doing that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What, what's a what's a common myth about being a solo musician that you feel like you need to tell the world is wrong? Um, just that, you know, especially in like the electronic scene, there seems to be a lot of rules and a lot of uh, focus on the equipment you're using and uh, oh, what's what's a, what's being a valid artist or not. And I I think fuck those rules. You know, like I the way I do it is a. Uh, you know, I set up the backing tracks and uh, I plan it out beforehand. Um, I would like to experiment more with building the songs on the fly when I perform live, but really, there's—I don't think there's any rules that you need to follow. You know, um, I don't care if you know. I've seen artists that like more or less uh, just they karaoke, if you will, <laughs> where they just like they have all their backing tracks ready to go and they just sing, and that's just as captivating a performance as like as anything else like I so I disagree with the notion that like you know uh you're not a real musician if you know like I, I feel like if you're an, if you're an artist and you're creating something that's not there before then that's th there's value to it so you know I disagree with those kind of rules about like whether you're a real musician or not <laughs> huh. yeah absolutely I'm I'm in the same boat I uh I run midi with my feet I play guitar and I sing live and uh you know, lately I've I've been uh, well right before COVID happened. You know, I just started. I got a little battery powered PA, and I just started playing on the streets in San Diego. Uh, just oh, right. an iPod, a guitar, and my vocals, and I had a lot of fun doing that. I did it once, and it poured rain on me, and I was <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing um, a suit like a chump. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
yeah, I had a great time though. And then, then two days later, everything closed down. Oh, <laughs> I to, yeah, it's been live streams and that fun stuff. Since have you done any live streams yet, or not yet? I'm uh, actually I'm working on putting my own together. Um, my wife and I run a little label called KBOR Records, um, and we uh, have been experimenting with a, a switcher. Um, where we can take all multiple sources um, and then just cut to them and uh, add, you know, add lower thirds and, and things like that to the, the feed. And so I'm, we're, I'm trying to put something together there, like a little TV show, maybe not necessarily strictly live, um, but I'd like to get other people's uh, either live feeds, music videos, things like that, and just kind of do that. So I'm working on learning that software um and and putting together my own type of show that way um but so far i haven't actually gone live with uh with any streaming things That's awesome. let me know when you get that going because I, I definitely want to check that out for sure um cool yeah i'll i'll i'll, I'll should give it a shout out on my instagram page because that sounds like something i'd really be interested in um awesome yeah so one last question if you were me what would you have asked yourself that i didn't <laughs> um, I would have asked, what inspires you? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would have asked, like, uh, probably, um, I don't know. I don't know. That's hard. That's, I guess that's why I don't interview people. But uh, <laughs> it's hard to come up with those questions. Um, I guess... Uh, if I were a, uh, if I were any type of food, what would I be? That's, that's the hard hitting questions you should be asking. That's, that's America <laughs> needs to know. And the answer to that would be buffalo cauliflower because it is good and it's healthy. Yeah, that's fucking delicious. That's a good cauliflower. So am I. <laughs> You're good and healthy. I love it. I love it. Well, Mani Oblivion, it's been an absolutely pleasure chatting with you. An absolute Thanks pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, this is not where I want to be.